Thank you, Joe and Lindsay. Uh, for those of you who don't know the Lizers, uh, this couple and their, their family is highly involved in what goes on uh, around this church in, in uh, various ministries, men's and women's ministries. Uh, Joe is the, the, the head of our safety team, our safety ministry, uh, so we are thankful uh, that their family is here. I missed you guys. I missed you at the Christmas Eve service and uh, on the 26th, so it's good to be back with you. Uh, I'm so thankful for a talented group of people uh, who can step in and keep the ball going uh, when, when stuff happens. Um, uh, I hope you had a good Christmas, and my family and I are still looking forward to celebrating Christmas uh, together, so we're going to have two Christmases in 2022, so na 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 um, So, chat will probably turn that into a video now, so... Uh, this year, we're going to start off uh, talking about who we are. But before we do that, I want to just go back and to talk a little bit more about something that Becky brought up, and that's our, our, some of the stuff that we have online for you. Now, last year, we, uh, we transitioned to a new um, website. Uh, many of you didn't know that. Scott and his crew did a good job of transitioning uh, to that. It's great. It has a lot more resources. It, things are much more unified on there. So if you're watching at home, uh, right now over to the side, you can, you can chat with other people who are online with Brian uh, as he's sort of monitoring things online. You can give online. You can do prayer requests online. But you can also ac ac access the one sheet. And that's something that we really, really want you guys to, to buy into and to start using. Because 30, 40, occasionally 52 minutes isn't enough time on a Sunday morning for us to dig down deep into God's Word uh, for the whole week. So we want you to, to go home and to use that one sheet as one of the resources to help take you a little bit deeper. It'll take us on maybe a different turn than what we're able to go to go. Uh, down together uh, in, on a Sunday morning. It'll take us deeper or further. Ask you to think about some things. It's good for personal study, for small group study. Please use that uh, because it extends what we're trying to do with our teaching uh, ministry. Um, also, we just want to point out that you'll notice, like when Joe and Lindsay read, we didn't pop up this, the, this, the scripture on the slide, and a lot of times we don't have a lot of scripture up on the slide. That's intentional. Right? We're not lazy, we're not missing something, it's intentional. It's because we feel that it is important for you to be able to navigate this book. Whether it looks like this or whether it looks like this, it's important for us to be able to navigate Scripture. So when we read together, we want to encourage you to, to, to turn there with us, to read with us, to, to engage in the, 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 the text with us by either swiping or turning pages. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we, we have a gift for you. Uh, just stop by the Welcome Center or over there in the window. We have some ESVs. If you need a Bible, please take one. If ESV is not your flavor come see me. We will go over to my office, and there's a couple shelves there, Bibles there, who would love to have a different home uh, and be to be used um, in, in your home. So if you need a Bible, please let us know, uh, because we want you to engage with text here with us, but also uh, on your own. We are going to talk uh, this today about the mission of the church. And if you've been here before, if you're a member of this church, if you visited, you know that we do not have some cleverly crafted mission statement. We, take, we, we prefer to let Scripture be our mission statement. So if you want to know our mission, anytime you can turn to Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, and read the words of Jesus there as he gives the mission to his church. That is our mission. We don't have some cleverly crafted, some, some catchy thing that is our mission that's out in front. Why? Why? Because what is clever changes? 
pastors and staff changes, um, but this word does not change. And until Jesus comes back, the mission for the church does not change. Now, how we chase after that mission here is by, these th- the, by what you see on the banners in this room. That's by loving God, loving people, and loving more people. Love God is what we're doing now. We worship together. Uh, we want our, our faith family to be a worshiping family, whether it is here on a Sunday, whether it is our teens on a Sunday night, whether it is our, ki- our, our kiddos and team kid on Wednesday or Upstreet or King's Crossing on Sunday morning. We want to worship God together, and that's what we mean by love God. We also want to worship when we're driving our car when we're waking up in the morning, uh, when, we're, when we're thinking about this meeting that we're getting ready to have with our boss, when we're thinking about a group of seventh graders getting ready to come into our door and learn about whatever you have and plan for them. We want to be 24-7 lovers and worshipers of God. Love people means we want, we want to grow together. That's why we emphasize care groups here. We want you to be in a care group because in a church this size, it is impossible to know everybody at a level that's going to hold you accountable and help you grow in your spiritual journey. So that's why we want you to be involved in a, in a care group, in a ministry group, so that you can work alongside of brothers and sisters on the same mission right, to, to de- de- develop as mature and mature or maybe more mature believers. Right, and then love more people. That's because we're not satisfied with just the people who are here. We fully believe that that there's a lost world out there who needs a relationship with Jesus Christ. And though we may not know them, and though we may not like some of them that we know, we still desire for them to know Jesus. So that is our love more people. That is what we are about. And in 2022, sort of our narrowed focus is going to be this. We're going to encourage you, we're going to equip you, we're going to uh, assist you, and we're going to expect you to join us in stewarding everything for kingdom growth. Now, there's a a weird word or two in that short statement. We don't use the word stewarding quite often uh, in our regular vocabulary and conversation, so we're going to look at more what that looks like, what stewarding means. What does it mean? Uh, uh, The one sheet is going to start you on that journey, right? Everything. That means every ministry. That means everything that we do, every care group, every person, every family, everything for kingdom growth. Kingdom is what we are a part of as believers in God. Growth, the easiest way to measure growth and to look at growth is by numbers. But there's so much more to growth than just numbers. Growth is easy to measure. Death is easy to measure in a church or decline because you can count heads. But here's what is important to me. Each head is attached to a soul. And the souls are what should be important to us. So we want to, yes, grow in numbers, but we also want to grow more mature as believers, more fully committed to what Jesus has put in front of us. But before we can talk or before we can fully grasp the mission of the church, it's important, church, that we know who we are. And more than just a surface level, we need to go deeper down. Often when we describe a church, we talk about, um, we talk about maybe worship styles. Well, that's the church that has contemporary. That's the church that has this. Or that's the church that has this amazing team uh, of worship leaders. Or that, that's the church that's just a, just a piano. Or it's a cappella. We describe a church that way. Sometimes we describe a church by her most vibrant ministries. 
Have you heard about FBCW? They have awesome children's ministries. You need to have your kiddos there on Sundays and Wednesdays. Sometimes a church is described by her relationship in the community, that she's a great neighbor. Man, this church does a lot for the community. Or this church is a terrible neighbor. They put up fences and they they block off their parking lot. So we're described by those things. But those are really more descriptors than they are who we are. They're more determined out of what we think or who we think that we are. So what then makes the local church what she is? What gives her her shape, her purpose, her meaning? This requires a deep, serious dive into the fundamental and distinctive characteristics of the church. It requires us to look at our DNA. And that's what we're going to do as we start off this year together, is to look at uh, the DNA of the church. We're going to unveil a little piece of that each week, and we're going to tie it back to our mission from Matthew chapter 28 uh, in, our, in our approach to that through the three loves uh, that we encourage. And we want to encourage you, again, to engage here and to engage at home and in care groups. What better place for us to look at the DNA of a church than in Matthew chapter 16? Joe and Lindsay read the entire block of Scripture that we're going to look at over the next several weeks. Uh, and we're going to go back and we're going to reread a small portion of that. But before we jump into that, I want, us, I want to warn us about a couple of things. As you heard the Lizers read that Scripture, I, you may have tended to go toward, I've heard this about 300 times before. Uh, I've, I've, I've read this over and over and over. I know what Jesus is going to ask. I know what Peter's going to say. I know what's going to happen. And when we do that, when we come to a section of Scripture, and I think we're all guilty of that, that we're, when we're very familiar with a section of Scripture, we sort of speed read through it to get to something that's not as familiar to us. We know what's going to happen. So we speed read through And when we do that, church, we miss some meat. We miss some important aspects of what Scripture is trying to tell us. So we are going to downshift into, uh, into first gear, and we are going to crawl through this section of Scripture because we don't want to miss what is going on here. Uh, and the other thing, if, 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 if you are like me and you sort of fall into that mindset a little bit, I want to ask you a question. Are you truly living this section of Scripture out in your life? Because sometimes things that we take for granted, we haven't allowed to to sort of take deep root in our daily lives. Are you letting this section of Scripture change the way you live? Have you truly accepted what this is saying to you? There's a couple other things that we need to to, to understand Um, and, and, and have to register with us if we're going to completely comprehend what's going on here. The first one is that Jesus is God and you are not. Jesus, the, the, he got into this big, he brought a lot of problems onto himself by, by, by claiming to be God. And the Pharisees didn't like it, the Sadducees didn't like it, the Romans didn't like it, Jewish people didn't like it. He had the audacity to say that he was God because he was, and he proved that over and over in the way that he lived, died, and then defeated death by coming back to life. Jesus is God and you are not. We have to wrap our heads, our minds, our hearts around that. A lot of times we like to play God. We think we know better. This doesn't apply to me. 
right? Do you, there's a pretty good reason that God waited until almost the end of creation to introduce man and woman into the creation story. Why? Tony Foreman's opinion on that, that is he did not want us chirping in his ear for six days saying, hey, do it this way, do it this way, do it this way. Jesus is God, we are not. We need to understand where we fit in that paradigm. We need to be thankful that we are not God. The second thing is, Jesus is God, Jesus is the Messiah. He was sent to redeem, he is on a mission. Hold tightly onto that. Right? Christ is not his last name. We talked about that a few, few weeks ago. Christ is not his last name. It's who he is. He is a Messiah. He is a Redeemer. And he is on mission. And Jesus, in this section of Scripture that we're looking at, that when Jesus is saying these things, Jesus is not going to be around much longer after he says these words to his disciples. What he is doing here is he is passing the baton to them so that the mission continues. I don't know... Uh, None of us have seen Peter or Andrew, James, John, Paul walking around the streets of Williamstown to the Mid-Ohio Valley. They are gone too, and they have handed the baton to to a new generation of church leaders who have passed the baton to more recent and more recent generations of church leaders and have passed the baton to us. We are still to be about the mission of God to redeem. Everything else is just a means to an end. So, as we look at this stewarding everything, if, we have, if we're doing something here as a body of believers that doesn't keep us on that path of redemption, we need to cut that off because it's not helping us in the mission that God gave to us. If there's something in my personal life that that keeps distracting me and pulling me this way when I need to be focused on the mission this way, I need to get rid of it because it's detracting. It's wasting my time, energy, because it's not important to the mission of God. Christianity is not a spectator sport. You'll get tired. (laughs) You'll get worn out, and there's a good chance that if you're doing it right, you will get hurt. But this mission is much more important than anything else in our lives, especially as believers. The only difference between an unbeliever and a believer in this area is that we realize it, that we should realize that this is the most important thing about us. What better place for us to look at the mission of the church and who the church is than Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 16? A few chapters, 12 chapters before he gets into the go and make disciples. Here he has this intimate conversation with his closest friends on this planet. I want you to read with me uh, a few verses that we've already read this morning, um, but the ones that we're going to focus on this morning, starting in verse number 13. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Father God, thank you for these words that you've put before us this morning. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit, the the helper, 
um, comes to help us understand this more fully and adopt this more fully into our lives. God, we pray that the realization that Peter had in this text becomes our realization. And yes, though we may still fumble and fail, we keep our eyes focused on you. And God, allow your spirit to do that in us and through us. And God, right now, we just pray that you would help us to, to, to focus on this text, text and what it means for us as a church and for us as Christians. God, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. We're going to talk more about Caesarea Philippi later, and next week actually, because it fits more with next week's lesson. But for what you need to know now, this is like far removed from most of the, 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 the events in the New Testament, right? A lot of what happens is down around Jerusalem and Bethlehem, Sea of Galilee, Caesarea Philippi, way up here, way north, almost, I mean, within spitting distance of the next country. Right, so he is out there in Caesarea Philippi. Right, if you can, if you can pay attention, it has the word Caesar in there. So all this is taking place in a place that was named for in honor and worship worships Caesar. We'll come back to that a little bit next week. But but he's here, and in these few verses, this is the first mention uh, of Jesus using the word church or ecclesia. And the way that he uses this word, it's as a, a group of believers, an assembly of Christ followers. And in these verses, we can learn several things about what this ecclesia, this community, was supposed to be. Today, what I want you to take home is that the church is a community of people who know Jesus intimately. Right? Notice that there's some words missing out of there that we might want to interject into. There's no about in here. This does not read the community of people who know about Jesus. What we see in this scripture from, the, from Peter is it's about knowing Jesus intimately. The contrast is clear here, not just between the disciples and the Jewish leaders, between the disciples of Jesus and everybody else. Jesus asked them, who do people say that I am? The disciples had no problem answering this question. They just started blurting out answers. Some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. But here, no one says, they're saying you're the Messiah. They're saying you're the Redeemer. They're saying that you're the son of God. They, they believed he was a good man, maybe a good teacher even, had some good things to say. They, they, if they'd been around him very much at all, they'd seen him do some pretty amazing miracles. But to none of these people, he was not God himself. So Jesus then turns and he asks that same question to, to the disciples in verse number 15. He says, but who do you say that I am? Now, I wasn't there. I don't know this for sure, but just knowing what we know about some of the apostles, some of this group of men, I imagine this, these guys sitting sort of in a circle, uh, just in this, this group, listening to Jesus preach, and Jesus asked, or teach them, and Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? And at that moment, everybody went from this to not making eye contact with Jesus. If, he, if I don't make eye contact, he can't see me, he can't call on me. Maybe they're glancing around to see if anybody else is getting ready to say anything, but there's Peter. And we know about enough about Simon Peter to know that the dude's a little bit different. 
He's a lot like a lot of us. And I, I just picture him sort of sitting there, and there's this, he's got this thing on, just on the tip of his tongue, and he can't, he can't not formulate it, but then all of a sudden, something boils up inside of him, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he, all at once he says, you are Jesus. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, a lot of times when Peter opens his mouth and says something, I imagine Jesus just looking at him and shaking his head. Here, though, Good job, Simon. Bar Jonah, or son of Jonah. Good job. Because this was not revealed to you by man. Right? Uh, the Pharisees didn't tell you this. Your, your rabbi didn't tell you this. Uh, the other disciples didn't tell you this. This was revealed to you from someplace else. This was revealed to you by God. Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Not even Peter could fully understand the significance of what he had just said. See, everything, everybody else had missed the fact that Jesus was Messiah, but Peter somehow came up with this. And Jesus is sure to point out that it's not through flesh and blood. A true understanding of Christ comes from not, not from human invention, but from only divine revelation. Jesus tells him it was revealed, Jesus tells Peter that this was revealed to him by his Father. And we can't forget this, guys. We can't forget that the grace of God is the only way, the only hope that we have for understanding the Word of God. Jesus said in Matthew, or in John chapter 6, verse 44, he said, No one can come to to me unless the Father who sent me draws him in. In and, our, in and of ourselves, we're blind, just like the Pharisees, just like the Sadducees. We were in darkness, as John 3.19 tells us. But God, in his mercy, has opened our eyes to be able to see, to be able to understand, to be able to comprehend. And that's not just Jesus in this place. That is all throughout the Gospels. You hear Paul saying the same thing. That without the Holy Spirit guiding us, we are lost. We were in darkness. Peter's testimony here should be the testimony of every Christian. This is what knowing Jesus looks like. This is what knowing Jesus intimately looks like. See, there were a lot of people in the first century who knew about Jesus. They had maybe walked by and saw him preaching or heard about a miracle that he had done. They knew a lot about him. They they thought he, maybe, maybe it was John the Baptist come back from the dead. Maybe he was Elijah. Maybe he was Jeremiah making an appearance. Maybe he was one of the other prophets. But they didn't recognize him as who he truly was. The same is true in 2021. Did you know that 85% of Americans say that they believe that Jesus Christ was a true, living, historical figure? 85% believe he was an actual man who lived. Of those, almost all of them, 9 out of 10, 90% believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Does the, has that knowledge transformed our country? No. Has knowing about Jesus transformed the way people live? No. You guys know, I've shared this before about how almost 30 years ago now, I saw a good-looking girl and I pursued her. I chased her down. 
We just celebrated 27 years of marriage right before Christmas. I can tell you today I'm still pursuing her, still chasing her down. Thankfully, she's getting a little bit slower. I, Shelby Clark, is not my wife today because I know about her. That does not make her my wife. Knowing her defines our relationship. I know a lot about you guys. I'm not married to you. Jesus, we know a lot about Jesus. But in order for us to have a relationship with him, it has to go deeper than that. You guys, here's your obligatory A.W. Tozer quote to start the new year. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You've heard us say that before. We've used that quote before. I want to change that just a little bit. Who you say Jesus is will determine everything about how you follow him. Maybe today you're sitting here and you think Jesus is uh, he's a good teacher. So that means you're going to listen to him occasionally. Right? I think Dave Ramsey's a pretty good teacher when it comes to biblical finance. So occasionally, <laughs> I follow his advice. I don't know Dave Ramsey, and I sort of keep him out there at arm's length, and when I need him, need his teaching, I go to him. He's a good teacher. If you think Jesus merely had some good ideas, you're going to listen to what he says every once in a while. Sort of like that calendar that sits on some of our desks that's 365 wise sayings. Or um, uh, So every day you're ripping one off. Well, that one's stupid. Not paying attention to that one. Hey, this one's pretty easy. I think I'll apply this one. Or I'll give it to my wife. Or I'll give it to my boss so that they can apply it a little bit. Right? When we think that Jesus has just has some good ideas, every once in a while we'll listen to what he has to say. If we think Jesus was a good example, well, we'll try sometimes to, uh, to, to follow his example. But church, if we truly believe that Jesus was and is the promised Messiah who came to earth to save us from our sins, to conquer sin and death and to reign over us as Lord forever, then it changes everything about how we live. It's not just, our, our, our faith, our religion is not just something that we schedule on our calendar. I got to be here for this. I got to be here for this. I think I can squeeze this in between basketball practice uh, and, and doctor's appointments. It's not just something to be, ske- be scheduled. It changes the way that we live. As I said before, Christianity is not a spectator sport. Involvement is mandatory. It's not a passive event in your life. Now, a few verses before what we read today, back in, 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 in verse number 11, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he's talking to them about, you guys just are not getting this. And he's talking about bread, and he's trying to say that bread, that the example that he's giving, that bread is representing something bigger than just a loaf of wonder bread sitting on the table. And, and he says in verse 11, he says, how is it that you fail to understand that I don't speak about bread? I, I imagine him. I mean, I imagine him saying this to me all the time. Tony, how in the world are you not getting this? He was talking about bread there, but I think that applies to how we live our life out. Also, how are we not getting this? We equate to knowing some facts about Jesus with having an intimate relationship with Him, and they are not the same. I can know about Shelby. I can know Shelby. The knowing defines the relationship. 
I can know about Jesus. I can know Jesus. Knowing about Jesus does not save me. It's a fast pass ticket to hell to just know about Jesus. Knowing Jesus, that relationship is what saves me. Knowledge about Jesus with no relationship with Jesus is nothing. Knowledge does not transform you, relationship transform you. Relationship with Jesus compels us to steward the relationships, our relationship with him. So what's this look like? How can we know Jesus intimately? Just coming here on a Sunday morning, just taking your kids and depositing them in Upstreet or King's Crossing, just doing those things is not enough to foster a relationship with the one who died for you. It requires this, this constant companionship. That's why he doesn't say, hey, just know me a little bit. Just know about this about me. Just spend a little bit of time with me. There's not a, there, there's not a book of requirements in the New Testament that says, this is the minimum of what you need to do to have a relationship with me. No. He uses long language like abide in me. Abide is a strong word. It means that you are united and cannot be separated. Abide in me and I in you. That's the terminology that Jesus uses about our relationship with him. So how do we foster this relationship of knowing Jesus more intimately? Well, it begins with us desiring more. We can't do it on our own. How many of you, don't don't raise your hands on this, please. How many of you have already failed in some of your 2022 New Year's resolutions? Right, and we're on what, day two? We can't do it on our own. So the first thing that we need to do is we need to ask for help. Holy Spirit, please help me. When I don't feel like it, please help me. When I feel like giving up, when I feel like skipping a day, please help me. Infuse me, empower me. And then it's us putting in some work. It's us putting in the time. I didn't form a relationship with Shelby Clark like this. I pursued her. I I learned about her. I learned what she liked. I learned what she didn't like. I I, I, I know the places that she liked to go, what she liked to eat, uh, what she wanted to do when when, when we had a few hours together. I know her much better now, 27 years later, than I did on that first time she accidentally said yes to going on a date with me. The same is true with our relationship with Jesus Christ. The more time we spend with him, the more intimate our relationship is. We should desire daily to be spending time in his word, time in conversation with him, time trying to imitate uh, the way he looks and the way he acts, the way he loves, the way he lives by spending time in this word personally individually. But we can't do it alone, so we, we need this community of people around us. So this is, this is a starting point. This is a great starting point, but it's not enough. That's why, we, that's why we emphasize care groups so much, and that's why we emphasize being a part of a ministry so much, because it's there where your faith will grow. It's going to Latrobe Street Mission and serving it, it, It's going uh, to, to the, the local schools and operating a Bible club. It's getting together in the foyer in somebody's living room and digging into Scripture together and praying with each other that leads us deeper. And it's being here. 
not just making this a priority on our calendar as if, if it's just another time to be together, but making sure that, that, that everything in our lives focuses and centers around our relationship with Jesus and becoming more and more like Him. Not an afterthought, not something I can squeeze in, but chasing after Him with the power of the Holy Spirit compelling us and empowering us. It's worshiping Him alone, in your care group, and here together. It's becoming 24-7 worshipers. How do we do that? <laughs> Guys, it's the same. It's by spending time with Him. It's by, it's by just sitting in His presence and learning about Him. But it starts with accepting an invitation to be in relationship with Him. Romans chapter 10 tells us that, uh, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Right? We, we, we live in a society now where, where everybody in this room has heard about Jesus. But it's that faith part is what saves us. Jesus himself says, even demons believe in me and shudder. They know about me and they shudder out of fear. But if you are in me, if you are truly in me, you are secure forever. This morning, as we are just one day into, one full day into the new year, have you surrendered to that Jesus? Have you surrendered to that Messiah, the one who came here from heaven to live a life that we couldn't live, a one of perfection, and to die a death that should have been ours? Who was nailed to a cross to die for our sins? Who was thrown into a hole in the earth for three days? but then came storming out to defeat death forever. So you, you can look at your life and you can say, oh, man, I, I've had some good seasons, I've had some bad seasons. If, if, it's, if our life, whether good or bad, is void of Jesus Christ, that's a lost life. He is the only one who redeems. He's the only one who has, who has the, the resume, the pedigree to redeem church this morning, if you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, I encourage you to do that today. For most of us who have made that decision, I pray that 2022 is a year where we know our Savior more intimately. And that what that, re and that relationship dictates more and more of how we spend our time, our energy, our finances, what consumes our attention, where we it decides how we lead our family, how we love our family, and how we interact with each other and a community, a world that desperately needs Jesus. Today, I invite you, if you don't know Jesus, accept him today. If you do know Jesus, make today the day that you stand up and say, I want to know you more intimately. Change me, Father. Father God, thank you for this morning.